I said, I can give you 20 things that would have taken me out. He said, I can give you one short little blonde one. Should have taken you out years ago. Um, Jeff. So, um, so I don't know what we're supposed to do tonight. We're supposed to have a party, right? When are we doing that? Are we doing that? Do I get to still speak some a little bit? A little bit? A little bit? A little bit? Just a little bit. So I started out this morning, um, my accountability group took me to uh, Snooze. Snooze is a great place. If you have not been to Snooze for breakfast, I, I try to go regularly. I took my dad there, in fact. Um, they have the best gravy in town. I don't know what they do. They throw a little rosemary in there or something. But, man, it is the best gravy in town. And, uh, and then I finished. I had a big old meal, extra stuff all over, hash browns, things. And then I was done. I was finished, about to leave. And they said, oh, it's your birthday. Well, first the waitress said, oh, it's your birthday. Today is my dad's birthday, too. And then I said, because I'm an idiot, I, do, I fall for it. I said, oh, how old is your dad? She said, well, he's a lot older than you. And I said, how old is he? She said, he's 58. <laughs> and I said, how old do you think I am? And you could tell she thought. <laughs> and I said, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to ask you. I said, and she says, well, I'm 30. <laughs> I thought, I hate you. So... <laughs> Years ago, Art reminded me of this as he was walking in tonight. Something about, well, you're an adult now, you know, 50. I hope I'm, hope I'm an adult before I'm 50. But um, I remember when Lynn and I turned 30, we had already been, we got into ministry at 20. We, had, we started being lead pastor at 26. Turning 30 was a big deal because we were still kids. Everybody saw us as kids. They, they, I mean, that, that church we pastored was so good to us. They were so respectful um, they, they always called me uh, Pastor Bottoms or Brother Bottoms. You still said brother a lot back in those days. and, and um, Which always kind of sounded weird because I heard people call my dad Brother Bottoms, but not me. And so but they were very respectful. But there was something about turning 30 where I was an adult now, right? Uh, there seemed to be that transition. It was good. We enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm turning 50 today, but I still feel, except for a few little things every now and then, I still feel 30. I really do. I work hard at that. I try to work out and keep myself in shape. And, and uh, every now and then, though, every now and then, you're just like, wow, I'm 50, you know, that kind of thing. It just hits you. Um, but this is something I, I do. I really do work hard at. I, I think part of the reason that as you get older, your joints and everything aches and stuff like that is because you're not using them like you're supposed to. You need to always be exercising, and always be doing something, try to make it non-impact, that kind of thing. So I bike a lot, I lift weights, all that kind of stuff, because it keeps all my joints, right? If I go a week or two without biking, my knees and ankles hurt like crazy, and, and um, but so I just have to keep exercising until the day I die. It's the trap I'm in. Okay, um, let's go to Second Peter. I've been trying to get here for three weeks, a month. Second Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> I'm going to show you something else Sunday. Um, so we're looking at the seventh church Sunday, and, but I'm going to show you something that I've been talking about over the last two or three weeks right before I speak that's kind of uh, pushing some of this for me is why is the world acting the way it is? Why is society acting the way it is right now? And I'll show you another element of this Sunday that I think can be revelatory to you. 
to really process there's a reason why stuff is happening the way that it is. And it's not just, well, it's the end times. That's, there's, there's reasons. There's biblical reasons why our society is acting the way that it is. But I'm not going to tell you until Sunday. So Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 1. The day of the Lord is coming. That's, that's the heading in my Bible. Your Bible may have a little bit different heading. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to me that, um, that, that all, almost every writer in the New Testament said something eschatological. They said something somewhere in their writings that had to do with prophetic end times. Eschatology is the study of end times. And they all, almost every single one of them, had, I, I believe all of them, if you really look at what's going on, because anytime you're declaring, like uh, communion, when I was talking about communion, it says, um, Jesus said, uh, remember, when you do this, remember me, that I'm the fulfillment of do this, and declare my coming. That's prophetic. That's, that's end time prophetic. That every time we take communion, we should be declaring, first of their actions, because why would you take communion unless you believe Jesus came and he's coming again? You wouldn't do that. Communion, well, I know people that take communion. It does anything. It means nothing to them. They just grew up in the church doing it. You know, that's how you stay at least a little enough saved or something. I don't know. But, but the reason theoretically, not theoretically, legitimately, the reason that you are taking communion is because you believe Jesus came, died on the cross. This represents his blood and his body. And you are declaring that prophetically that, that this resurrection of his body is going to happen again. And he's going to resurrect us someday. Okay. Um, not, not this week coming up, but starting the next week, for the next three weeks at least, and it may be four after that, I'm going to be looking at um, uh, the rapture. It, what is the rapture? Why does it happen? How does it happen? When does it happen? Um, do you guys know why I'm doing it at this time frame? Michael knows. Anybody else know? Michael and I have talked about this. Uh, there's something called the... the um, Feast of Trumpets, or the festival, it's a festival feast of trumpets, and it's got two or three different names, actually, and here's the interesting thing, it's changed over the years, because Jewish tradition has changed it, but the original festival of trumpets is the one we're going to focus on, and and part of the reason Jewish people have changed it is because it it pointed at Jesus too much, (laughs) you can't be out on that, so um, the festival of trumpets is coming up, I'm going to talk, I'm going to expound on this quite a bit, but just give you a little taste of this. The festival of trumpets is the end of the harvest. You blow the trumpet and everybody comes in from the harvest and you're done harvesting. What, is, what does scripture tell us starts the rapture? The blowing of, of the trumpet or trumpets. Who blows the trumpets? Gabriel, the archangel, blows the trumpet. And, um, and then we're going to tie that into the Jewish wedding, marriage ceremony, because that's part of it. It's all part of it. Uh, because the father of the, bride, the groom blows a trumpet. That's not, that's not coincidence. And the groom goes and gets the bride. And she's supposed to have her lamp trimmed and ready to go in case he comes in the middle of the night. And the rapture is going to come suddenly and unexpectedly. I mean, all this stuff, it's all together. It's all together. Um, I was watching a uh, video today, a short video. I was watching part of a long video. Uh, it was an interview with Jordan Peterson and this guy from Europe, from India or something like that. And he was interviewing him. 
And the guy kept saying, now we understand that, uh, that you like to believe in fables like the Bible and uh, things that, that, are, that are part of a Western culture but aren't, have no relevance in any other culture. They're a Western fable. And he said that like 10 times. And Jordan Peterson, I, I, still, I know some of you believe that he's a Christian. I don't know for sure if he is yet because I've heard him say he's not. But, but either way, he, if he's not, he's close. He's very close. He's definitely God-believing and Bible-believing nowadays, and he didn't used to be that. But he, he just kind of let the guy keep talking, and then, and then he said something about, he said, do you realize that all of Western civilization, all, not America, all of Western civilization in any countries that are evolving countries, because the, 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 like, um, like India, all, the, all countries, Western, and then the, the few steps down kind of in the, in the uh, developmental process are all based upon the Bible. Everyone, in fact, Art uh, suggested a book to me to read, and it's a great book. And it's written by an Indian talking about how the Bible is why India is not still a third world country. Why India is not. And he's very accurate on this. Why, why the third world countries that are remaining third world it, uh, the, the reason they're remaining third world is because they haven't embraced the Bible. Embrace the Bible, and a lot of things change. Society changes. Women become into prominence instead of second-class citizens. Every, there is no such thing as a second-class citizen in Bible-believing countries, at least not for long. And, and it goes through all this stuff. Guys, the, the, we, the, the Bible tells us so much. It tells us so much. I had a professor in... Um, in a university in, in a Southwestern when I went there. He's actually still there. <laughs> had a long time. So, um, but he made us write in the cover of our Bible. And I had a, uh, I had a Bible. I still have it in my office. I haven't used it in years because it's falling apart. But it's, it was a New American Standard. And in, in the front cover, he had us open it and write in the front cover of the Bible. First day of his class. And he said, we were supposed to write. And I remember this very simply. He said, you need to write in your Bible. This is an all-consuming guide. To life and conduct. That, that stuck with me. This Bible is my guide. The Bible will tell you stuff. It'll tell you stuff what you're doing right now. It'll tell you stuff of, of things that you've done. The Bible will tell you how to navigate the future. The Bible will tell you about the future that's coming that you need to know about. The, the idea sometimes that, that people think that this Bible is a fable, it's, a, it's not real. It's, I don't understand that. I've been reading the Bible and studying the Bible and living by the Bible for so long that I cannot understand a thinking human being that will not at least gra casually accept that the Bible has validity because it has been so strong and so prominent and so proven and so powerful for so many centuries. Nothing else comes close. This is, this is my conduct, my guide to conduct, my guide to faith. It's my guide to everything. It says in verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 3, This is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. Isn't that a great sentence? I'm trying to help you remember stuff. See, there's a little bit, this is a very positive sentence in my opinion, but there's almost like a little bit of a bite to it. Right? Look at it again. I'm trying to stimulate your wholesome thinking. Why would you need to stimulate somebody's wholesome thinking? Because they're not quite thinking as wholesome as they should. So you need to stimulate that. And refresh your memory. Remember, memory of what? Things that you have forgotten, apparently. You're not living by. You're not going by. 
says, I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. He's tying these together. The, the, I, 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 I um, approach this every now and then, kind of pick on it, and I, I just want to make sure that we don't fall guilty or pray to it. But there is something called replacement theology that is very strong in the evangelical church. It's very, very strong. And basically it preaches that the church today replaces the Jewish people of the Old Testament. That is not true. At best, we're adopted. We're grafted in. Okay, at best, we're adopted and grafted into this thing. And what Peter does is he ties the two together. He says the prophets of old and what Jesus has said of what those prophets have said because Jesus is authority. He's not saying this, but this is always the way my brain works. The prophets got the information that Jesus is saying from Jesus, right? Jesus told the prophets what to say. They said it, and then Jesus came back later and said, yeah, that was what I wanted you to know, okay? So he says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. You know, I um, saw an interesting statistic the other day. A couple weeks ago, I talked about... um, that, um, or maybe last week, that suicide rates are going up quite a bit in ministry ranks and things. And, and I believe, I know, I, I know people will not like this and will not agree, but the, the reason, I, right, right now media, the, the group that we use online, I love them, I'm not picking on them, but there's so many things on there right now about anxiety, anxiety in the pulpit, fears, whatever, they, and I'm not finding anybody that is saying just lean on the Holy Spirit, get so full of the Holy Spirit that you are powered up like Paul was, like Peter was, like John was. Get so powered up that you can face Satan in the face and say, you are going to back down Satan. We are the ones that are victorious. I'm not seeing that and hearing that. And and I'm to the point where I'd like to, I'm almost feeling like maybe possibly writing a letter to right now media and say, look, this is our part of our problem. You can talk about this stuff all day long. You can talk about all the psychology and all stuff, and it's all good. I haven't seen anything on there that I, that I just totally disagree with. It's all good. But nobody is saying that the, the peace from God is a Holy Spirit supernatural peace that you get by being empowered, not just by being saved, but by being powered up by the Holy Spirit. Nobody's saying that. I want to say, guys, this is the problem. This is what we were preaching before the problem, and this is what we're still preaching after the problem. But we haven't fixed the problem. And the problem is we still have pastors that are committing suicide like crazy. Interestingly, look back on this. Check this out yourself. Do you realize up until about late 1950s, early 1960s, that the suicide rate for teenagers was almost completely zero? Do you understand what I'm saying? In the 70s, we started seeing suicide among teenagers. And in the 80s, it took off. Is is there any reasons? Why, Why do you think? A couple basic reasons I think I can give you. What? I'm hearing somebody say words. Yes, fear. So, so where does this fear come from? Why? What, was there not fear in the 50s, 30s, 40s, 50s, up into the 60s? There was fear, but they didn't react by committing suicide. So why did all of a sudden suicide become the answer? 
I can't understand what you're saying. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> prayer in school. So, so here's the thing. When we say prayer in school, what does prayer in school signify? Prayer in school is not actually the key. His presence. We believe that God was still God over us. That's why we have prayer. Praying in a school is not, I mean, I'm very much about prayer in school. Don't misunderstand me. But just saying a prayer in school is not going to save our country. It's the reason we pray in school. Okay, it's like the statistic, and this is actually part of the reason. The statistic, I give this all the time, that if a family will have dinner together at least two nights a week, their, chance, their children's chances of end up in prison are more than 85% less just by having dinner together at least two nights a week. Because dinner together is magic? That food is magic? Why is that statistic true? Because there's a lot of reasons why a family will make that intentional. Connection, relationship, commitment to each other. And then what happens around the table? Our family, we were, we were crazy about this. We had dinner pretty much every night. Every now and then, maybe we didn't. But every night, we had dinner together as a family. And it was always kind of a little stupid. Um, your conversations were like, what? Especially when the kids are little, you're going, are you dumb? Why are you saying these? And they're like, well, this happened at school. What did you do? I did this. Why did you do that? You know, that kind of thing. But, but the, the thing for us was, this is vitally important to us. This is vitally important to us. Because I want my kids to know me. I want my kids to enjoy my company. But I also want to speak into their life, constantly speak into their life. And I got certain opportunities to do that around dinner table. Sometimes I just listen. Sometimes it's entertaining to just listen. To, to what? And you're thinking, but... But then you speak in it. And then there's something else that Lynn and I always do. I'm not making this about Lynn and I. Well, I guess I am. But there's always something else that we did, and we did it pretty much every single night my children lived in our house. We prayed together and talked about God together at night before we went to bed. Now, this is where I had to take the lead because Linda didn't like this. She didn't like us praying to Jesus. What would happen is, is the kids would go to bed at 9, let's say. That, that changed at different times, but let's say the kids go to bed at 9. Well, at about 8.30, we would all start gathering in our room. We always got into our room. We sat on our bed, and we would pray, or we would start talking. And then by 9, 9.15, 9.30, Linda's upset because she wants to go to sleep, and we're all still talking. We haven't prayed yet. But my kids will still tell you that was some of the greatest times ever in our family. With her griping the whole time. Oh, let's just go. Just pray already. Just pray. And when she yells that at us for five minutes, it doesn't feel very spiritual. <laughs> and then Emily. Emily was always, some, someone was just a little off with her, but she always had to be in bed by nine because that's the rules. And she's always been a rule follower. In bed by nine. And by 8.59, she's going, are we going to pray? Because I have one minute. But those are important things. We're establishing something. Guys, specifically, if you've got younger children, make it a priority. There's always going to be a reason why your kids need to be going to some event, doing something, some sport. Some, there's always going to be something. 
But let me help you out. I know if your kids are junior high, high school age, I know that this will maybe not make sense. But let me say this from not only watching this as a pastor for years, but doing this as a parent and, and watching after. My kids have, have uh, been leaving home and watching many other children over the years. You're going to spend so much time and energy and money and all kinds of stuff making sure your kids are in that sport and that sport and that sport and that sport because your kid is going to be the pro ball player. Your kid is going to be the pro whatever. Your kid needs to go to college and do this whatever. Let me tell you, 99.9% of the time, that's not going to happen. And what is going to happen is they're going to have grown up going to all of those things and missed you. And they're going to spend all this time and energy being on every travel team of this and travel team of that, and they're going to have missed you. And when they're 30, they will say, I wish I would have done something different and just had more of you in the process. I was golfing the other day with a guy that's in his 60s. And he said, you know, if, he, said it could, he said, ask me, he said, if you could go back to high school and do anything different, what would it be? And I would have said, I said, I would have played none of the sports I played. I would have only golfed. He said, me too. Because golf, you can use the rest of your life. You don't use a lot of football skills at 30 years old. You don't use a lot of baseball skills, although I'm a pretty good softball player too. But, but you don't use all that stuff. And what it had done is it was also would have cut out a lot of other stuff. And I would have just done golf and uh, just hung out more, not been so about everything. I know that's just my perspective on this, the golf, not the spending time. Parents, and, and some of you could ask, for you younger parents, go around to some of the older parents and ask them if I'm right about this. They get out of high school, they go to college, they get out of college, and, and you feel like you didn't even see them in high school. You didn't even see them. Our kids, our kids would complain to us. All their, all their friends, we had this conversation many times, our kids would be sitting around the table, and they'd say, Dad, all of our friends complain because they never spend time with their parents. We wish we didn't spend as much time with you. My kids would say that all the time. Then, but guess what? Not now. Right? Okay, I got off there, but you understand. Most importantly, I want to remind you, in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth, following their own desires. I mean, we always see that, but it, it's really gaining ground right now, is it not? It's really gaining ground. All of the cities that are still Seattle, still torn apart. They're still having riots, still tearing stuff up. And now the mayor of Seattle is, is getting on national news and complaining to President Trump because President Trump has sent troops in to keep people from being raped and murdered in Seattle. And Trump is the bad guy, and the mayor of Seattle is saying, get your troops out of here, and Trump, because he is Trump, and I appreciate this about him, he says, no, you're an idiot, and your people are dying, and I don't care what you say. I'm going to put the troops there, because people's lives are at stake, and you don't care. As people are following their own desires, or doing whatever they want to do, and however they want to do it. This is not okay. This is not okay. I saw... Um, uh, uh, what's her name? Kamala Harris, I think, the one that may be vice president. I heard her say, is this my birthday? Are you reminding me I'm going too long? Is that what you're Okay, 
Five minutes. I got, give me five more minutes, right? Five more minutes. I, I can see the clock. I don't want my glasses on, but I, I can tell it's back there. Um, she, she, she said, that you, look this up. I, guys, I don't, I don't stand up here and make stuff up. You know that. Look it up if you think I'm wrong. Okay? She said, all you people that voted for Trump, when we vote somebody else in, we are coming after you. She said that. And she said, we are going to make your life miserable. Yeah. How, how much worse can you make it? Here's the reality. They can make it a lot worse. Okay. These are scoffers. These are people that are following their own desires. This is the end times. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard somebody say, this is the way I've heard it many times in my life. In fact, I... As a, at a certain particular time in my life, late teens, early 20s, I said this a few times. I have been hearing about Jesus coming back since I was a little kid. I don't think he's coming back. You be careful when you say that. You be careful because that's exactly what this is saying. What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From, the, from before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Has it? No. I mean, yeah, in, this, in the general sense, everything's the same. But not really, because Jesus is coming soon. You can, you can sense it. You can feel it. And I've always felt like Jesus is coming back. I've always believed that. I, I've always known, according to Scripture and according to timelines, my generation is the terminal generation. You understand that? My, my dad's generation will not pass away, according to Scripture, will not pass away until Jesus comes back. Now, that doesn't mean my dad won't. I mean, he could. I'm not, I'm not you make up your own mind there. But, <laughs> but his generation, why? Because my dad was born in 45. If you were born from 48 on, from the 1948 on, your generation will not die until Jesus comes back. So I know I'm going. In the rapture, assuming I don't die first, I'm going in the rapture. But I've been hearing it all my life. I've been hearing it all my life. I've been hearing it all my life. And, but I've always believed. But I, I feel it in my spirit stronger than I've ever felt it right now. Jesus is coming soon. I believe that. And if I'm wrong, and, and somehow me saying this convinces you to live for Jesus better, then it worked. Even if he doesn't come back for another thousand years. You, see, this is the thing about being the terminal generation. You realize that every generation is terminal. And you have one shot at this life to serve Jesus Christ. you got one shot. It's called your life. And when it's over, you don't get another shot. So every person is the terminal generation. They deliberately forgot that God made the heavens by the word of his command and he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. They deliberately forgot. That's called evolution. Evolution is deliberately forgetting that Jesus created all of this. God commanded the stars to be there. God commanded the earth to exist. Evolution is man's deliberately forgetting and giving something else the credit. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. You, you, you say God didn't create the water? Okay, he'll create a whole lot of water. Just to show you, he's in charge. 
I've said things like that before, and people go, oh, that's not how God looks at it. Really? What do you think the flood was? It was him saying, I'm God. You're not. I'm God. I created everything. And I'm going to create water in a way you've never seen. It's going to come from the sky. That's just cool. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stood, have stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Now again, this scripture is not showing you how to time the first few sentences of Genesis. That has nothing to do with this. It is so irresponsible when theologians use this scripture to say uh, creation was 7,000 years long. That This sentence has nothing to do with that. It's, it's, you're taking it wrong and you're using it improperly to do that. What he's trying to do is establish the fact that God's in charge of all time. And then now that we've established he's in charge of all time, he says, the Lord isn't really slow about his promises, some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's the key. That's the key to the end times. That's the key to everything going on in our society today. It's the key for, for us looking at the seven churches in Revelation. It's the key to everything. Because the Lord just wants us to repent. And he's being very patient right now with our earth. Very patient. I've been putting a message together about this, and I don't know exactly how to deliver or what to deliver but I've been studying all the stuff. Uh, Shelby had sent me a video about some of this, and I began to just go online and look at stuff. And all of the people in Washington and Hollywood that we know, not the ones undercover that are still secret, but the ones that we know are, are heavily involved in pedophilia, human trafficking, uh, sex slaves of children, passing them these children around, Hundreds, thousands of people that are very, very influential. That's why you understand that's why Epstein hung himself on this much rope in a, on a floor this high. Right? You understand, Epstein didn't kill himself. We make that a joke. The reason that that man is dead is because he knows too many people. Did you know uh, Prince Henry was not even invited to his daughter's wedding? Andrew. Henry too, but, he, but that was a long time ago. We don't even, we don't, different generation, I think. Henry VIII, did a lot of weddings. So, <laughs> Andrew, I don't know, yeah. Prince Andrew was not even invited to his daughter's wedding because of this. Because it is very well known in Britain that he has been running pedophilia rings for years. For years and years and years. The, the same concept with the Clintons and Epstein going to this private island, 27 different times for sure that we know it was documented where, where hundreds of children are locked up on that island so that they can bring in people and have sex with these little kids. Three, four, five, six-year-old kids. Guys, our country is so corrupt. Our country is so, so evil. So dark. But Jesus is still patient with humanity. And he's given us one more chance one more moment to repent. To repent. That's, that's the only thing I believe right now that can save our country. I don't think anything else can do it. 
um, Trump getting reelected to office, which I'm a huge proponent of, will only delay the inevitable, which I want, by the way. But it's not going to save us. It's not. We are going down the tubes right now, and the only thing that can save us is repentance. All right, let me pray for us. And on that note, let's have a party. called a segue. I'm good at those smooth segues. So, so let's just pray. God, we, we submit ourselves to you. Jesus, I, I want to be who you want me to be. Lord, sin is always just crouching at our door, crouching at my door to try to get me to do what Satan wants me to do. Lord, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I want to be covered with your blood. I want to stand where you've, where you've called me to be. I want to live strong in you. I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to play around with your word and uh, with your grace. Lord, I don't want to take it for granted. I want to live in you. And, and I, want, I want to have the fear of the Lord. Not just understanding your God and not just a holy respect. God, I want the fear of you in my life to where I will not Step astray because you are God and you are the judge and you are in charge and you are going to judge us and you're going to destroy the ungodly. And God, I want that to, I want that to drive my spirit just as much as I love you drives my spirit. I want the fear of the Lord to drive my spirit. So God, we commit all of this to you. We commit our country, our church. Commit your word, Lord, into our spirit so that we can commit ourselves to you. And we pray this for your glory for you to be God and King over us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, I don't, I'm not in charge here, so.